Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in prayer in just a second here. Um, sometimes Roger Fuller is on the drums. Uh, he's, the, he's our oldest drummer, and Roger and Diane are on our worship team. But uh, Diane's nephew, uh, Jake Green, uh, fell from a third-story balcony this morning. And he's 20 years old, and he's at Mercy Hospital in Des Moines. They just asked if we would pray for him. So his name is Jake Green. Would you join me in prayer for Jake? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning for Jake. God, we pray for your, your rescue in his life. God, we pray for um, recovery. We pray for good medical treatment and diagnosis. Um, a reading of x-rays and things like that that we always want to make sure are right. Uh, but Lord, we just pray for your power in his life that today, although it's a very difficult day and a bad day in many ways, that today would be redeemed by you and that you could bring good to Jake's life. Lord, that uh, I don't know his spiritual condition, God, but we just pray that you would draw him close to you, uh, that his trust in you and his faith in you would grow uh, because of this struggle and this suffering. Uh, but Lord, we, we, we pray for a, a complete recovery in his life and in his body. We bring him before you, God. I pray for Diane and Roger as well and for the rest of the family that you'd be with them today, God. Lord, we ask because you are powerful and you are able. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning I want to talk to you from the book of Colossians, so if you want to turn there, you can, or if you grabbed a handout, it's uh, on the front of your handout sheet, the passages, and we're in Colossians chapter 1 in verse uh, 15 through 23, and the question I'm asking this morning is, who is Jesus? Which is, you know, that sounds like such an obvious question or an obvious answer, um, but Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get distracted. Imagine that today, this afternoon, you come out of the restaurant wherever you eat today and uh, a nondescript van pulls up alongside and snatches you and abducts you and drives you all the way down to Florida and you're held against your will and you're not allowed to leave and you're held in this confined spot and some of your family and friends up here put a rescue team together. And there's 10 people. They've got kind of an idea of where you are. And so they spend a few hours and they formulate a plan and they get in a van. And they head down there to rescue you. And when they cross the border into Florida, a few of them realize that while they're on their phone on that long drive that there's actually nice weather down there and there's some jobs waiting down there for them that pay more than what they're making right now. And a few of them leave the van, they peel off and they go after better jobs with more money. And then, and then a couple of them, when they stop at a restaurant, actually meet a few people and they build relationships. And so they decide that they, they're, they're not, they can't do this because they got to invest in these relationships. And then as the van is driving through Orlando, they pass the gates of Walt Disney World and they realize how much more fun it would be to go to Disney World today rather than go and rescue you. And before you know it, there's no more rescue team. You're left. 
and you're wondering, who's going to think about me? I, I was the mission. And now everybody's off on relationships and new jobs and theme park, and I'm yesterday's news. I wonder if Jesus ever feels that way in churches, you know, where people come in and they talk and we got things going on and this, this program and that thing and this thing and what we're going to do afterwards. And Jesus is like, I'm over here. <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, I'm the Savior. I'm the, one, I'm the one that you're here about. Excuse me. Oh, I'll be with you in a second. And you just keep talking because you and your, whoever you're talking to are really busy. And we just forget about Jesus. He's the mission, but we get so busy with other stuff, just stuff, that we just forget about him. I remember when I was, I remember when I was young, just like all of you who are older than me. You remember when you were young. And when God did something at that camp or at, the, at church or at a relative's home or at some special conference, and you just were drawn to God, you were drawn to a relationship with Christ. And then you went back to high school or you went back to college or you started your job or you went back to your neighborhood or maybe even back to your church and you just fell right back into the same old, same old rut. You just wake up every day, you do the same old thing, the same old way. You go to bed, you wake up the next morning in the same old bed for the same old life, doing the same old thing, the same old way. And all of a sudden, um, excitement about God just isn't, it's not even on the radar. We're not even thinking about it. So, this morning, as we're starting out this new church year, this new school year, who is Jesus? Oh, yeah, I remember him. We, we used to talk about him at church. <laughs> years ago. I hope that's not the case in, in our situation, but in our lives, even if it's been a few days or a few weeks or a few months, we've kind of forgotten about Jesus. I just want to allow God, through the Apostle Paul, through the letter that we over, look over his shoulder, the letter to the Colossians, what did he say about Jesus and how important is it? Now, before we get into that, very quickly, starting, at the, starting up at the top, I just want to focus us again on what kind of a church we are. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. The Alliance started back in the 1880s. It's a little while ago, but it's been going ever since the 1880s. And what started with just a, with just a few people in New York City is now 2,000 churches in America and 25,000 congregations around the world. And... On the screen, it says the Christian Missionary Alliance mission statement is this, to know Jesus as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, and to complete His Great Commission. That's what we're about. We're about knowing Jesus and doing what He said. Knowing Jesus and obeying Him, having a relationship with Him and obeying His commands. Um, the Great Commission Fund on the next slide is the, uh, is the fund that all the Alliance churches give to 
to spread the gospel around the world. And in the Great Commission Fund, I'll see if I can remember the, f- the four things. There's marketplace ministries, there's uh, comma services, which stands for Compassion and Mercy Associates. That's basically the relief arm of the Christian Missionary Alliance, where there's a disaster or a plague or a war, comma services gets involved. Marketplace ministries is if you're, if you're a business person here, you decide to be a business person in Iraq, and you can do the same thing there but as business, but also taking your relationship with Christ with you. And then there's what's called access, which we would understand as our international workers, our missionaries, that go and they are there to build relationships, lead people to Christ, form churches, build a network of churches, and then have that, those networks join together to build a movement in those, in those countries. And we have a number of countries that we've left because we've raised up leadership. They've got their own national alliance uh, organization, and we've walked away. And then the other one is um, Envision, which are the Envision sites. I think there's 18 of them around the world, and I think some 3,000 people a year maybe more, get involved in those. The one that we've gone to is in El Salvador, but it trains young people. Young people will go for six months to two years, and they get trained in cross-cultural missions. If you're a young person here this morning, you want to uh, take a step into missions, kind of like jump into the shallow end, but just enough to figure out what it's like to be in the pool, you could go to an Envision site. They're They're in the United States and around the world, and you could spend six months to two years there in a different culture, different language, different customs, and be a part of serving the Lord there. So those four things are all supported. When we give to the Great Commission Fund, they go into all four of those things. So on the screen, it supports 700-plus international workers around the world, but specifically what's called the 1040 window. That's, uh, that's North Africa and the Middle East and Asia, uh, China, India, uh, Southeast Asia, that part of the globe where there is the least access to the gospel. I don't know if you remember one of the missionaries that we had here in the last couple of years. They had a slide up which showed all the homes all lined up, all these little homes, and I think each home represented like 100 or 100,000 homes, and how many homes you'd have to knock on the front door of before you'd find somebody who could actually share the gospel with you based on personal experience. They were actually believers in Jesus. And so we go to the places where people could walk for days, weeks around their neighborhoods and never find a Christian. That's where we're sending our Great Commission Fund missionaries right now. And supporting the Great Commission Fund through a monthly gift helps Alliance workers reach into the darkest spiritual recesses of the globe. Two nights ago, I got on YouTube and I did a little bit of a deep dive into some of these darkest um, spiritual recesses. Because what happens is people like you go work for an aid organization and you take your camera with you, your phone, and you do videos, and you create this little video, and you put it on YouTube, and now we get to literally step into these communities, these impoverished, destitute communities, these war-torn communities, these very um, culturally different from us communities, and see what's going on around the world. And honestly, some of what I saw was, was disturbing. 
Um, we are so blessed where we live. We're so blessed to live in a place like Newton, a community like this, where we may not see ourselves as the Beverly Hills of the Midwest, but we're more than that when you compare us to so many places. There is a group of alliance workers in a city in uh, one of the West African countries where there's, um, there's the impoverished poor of the city. And they did a drone you know, video over the top of this place. And it's like a glorified junkyard. There's all these people that live in there. And some of our alliance workers went in and built relationships. And they had a meeting with all the community people. And they said, what are your greatest needs? And one of the greatest needs was child uh, malnourishment. And so they began to work to get um, not just more food, but good food and supplements and things that those kids really needed. And they started measuring, like, weight for their age and the standards and all that. And they're seeing those standards come up. And they had another meeting. They said, what else? What's the next thing that, that we should work on? And it was education. And it was literacy. And they showed the Alliance workers in a room with probably 15 ladies who were learning how to write. And they literally showed them writing on these notebooks and you see these 40, 30, 40, 50 year old women and they're learning to write their names. They never knew how to write their names. And talking about the dignity that that gives a person when all of a sudden they can actually write their own name and, and read their name because they actually understand it. But that's, that's what our alliance workers are doing. Now there's, there's urban city around this area, but this, there's this section of the city that's just these destitute people, and they're working little by little to bring the light of Jesus into these people's lives. So that's the Great Commission Ministries of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Now, coming down to our church, our mission given to us by Jesus from Matthew 22 and chapter 28 is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to make disciples of all people in all people groups. That's what God has called us to do. And we talked about our vision for these last few years, and I just want to remind you because these are the things that as staff and ministry leaders we look at and we try to align ourselves with. And I'm just going to read them quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but just to remind us, number one, we're engaging the emerging generation. If you were around Wednesday night, we did a shindig out here on the, on the Circle Drive, and it was fantastic. And a lot of you were there, uh, those of you with younger kids, uh, and it was, it was wonderful. And we just got to visit with each other and spend time together. Uh, but that was part of what Londa's ministry is doing to create a welcoming and captivating ministry environment because we do want people to experience salvation and continue on a spiritual journey at Community Heights. This isn't like a mall or a retail establishment where you come in, you, you, you pay for the show, and then you leave. It's a family, right? We're a family of believers, and we want people to go on a spiritual journey 
when they come here. And so many of you who are volunteers and ministry leaders, you think through that, and we try to take people from one step to the next, and particularly there with young families and young kids. Number two, we are mobilizing our church to love our community by serving to address the practical needs of people who live around us. And I was talking with somebody this morning who uh, has been helping to meet some practical needs. You know, it's all real nice to talk about meeting practical needs until you actually have to do it. Then it's kind of like you don't really want to be put out because we talk about having margin in our lives. I mean, if you're into personal development or, or business productivity or whatever, we, we talk about building margin. But we think that margin is for us so that we have margin. But the New Testament talks a lot about margin that you set aside for others so that when your neighbor pops in and they need something, that you actually have time and energy and compassion to help them. But that's something that in our culture is, is kind of difficult because we often want to keep the margin for ourselves. So uh, mobilizing our church, some of you, I said a couple weeks ago, gave um, uh, school supplies that we were, we were able to take to all the, all the elementary schools in town so that they could help the kids. These are necessities. They need these things for their education. And then uh, just this week, we helped a couple families with uh, with with uh, grocery cards where they could go to the store and get some food because they literally, they were running out of food before the next, you know, income cycle. So we're helping to meet needs and all kinds of other things that come our way. And then number three, we're becoming a healing place. We are helping people to achieve freedom from their hurts and addictions while providing families with uh, essential coaching and resources for spiritual health. Spiritual health is a pretty big deal. How, your relationship to God, is, it's a pretty big deal. Now, the enemy would like to tell you, oh, no, it's not. You know, the culture would like to say, oh, no, we've got a lot of other things to do. But our relationship to God is a big deal. And we want to be a place that brings people closer and not farther from God. And then number four, we're expanding our reach by training and sending full-time missionaries. We've sent several out just in the last year or two to other parts of the world where they are right now full-time serving the Lord. We're mobilizing our adults and students annually on a missions experience, and we've been partnering with our district churches to help plant new churches. We have to grow in all of these areas, but these are great areas to grow in, and they help us to accomplish the vision God's given us to do the mission that he's given to us. Now, as we go to Colossians, the question, who is Jesus? We could talk about mission and vision and all this stuff. But it ultimately comes down to one, that's God, the triune God. To exalt Jesus Christ, who gives glory to the Father and who is empowered by the Spirit, we have this triune God that we have to point ourselves to and point people to. And Colossians talks about, particularly, about the Son of God, the Savior, Jesus. I want to pop up that map just for a minute on the screen. If you look on that map and you go right to the center, to the right you see Miletus right there on the, on the coast, and then Laodicea to the right, and then, then Colossae is there. There's a little yellow circle with a cross in the middle of it. 
and then all those yellow circles, <clears throat> excuse me, down around the side, these are all churches that were planted by the disciples after Jesus' ascension. When they received the Holy Spirit, they went out, they planted churches. The red circles, and then there's more yellow circles to the west, but the red circles are the seven churches that are talked about Revelation 2 and 3. But I put that up for you because this, it's an actual place. Colossae is an actual community with real people in it. And you get to the end of the book of Colossians, and he says, well, greet so-and-so and say hello to so-and-so and give this message to so-and-so. And he's talking about people like you and me, just normal people, then their names are written into the end of chapter 4 of Colossians. So this isn't like, this isn't uh, pie in the sky like academia, ancient literature stuff. These are real people that Paul is writing to, and we get to peek in on this message. So if you, if you have one of these sheets, I've got eight things down here that answer the question, who is Jesus? And as we go through this passage, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, we're going to answer those. The first one is that Jesus is the reason for our mission and vision. He's the reason. He's the one who would say, hey, I'm still down here in Florida. When you get done at, uh, at uh, uh, what's it called, Midget Kingdom? What's that called? It's a small, small world. When you get done with it's a small, small world and your rides, then uh, come down here and, and rescue me. I'm the mission. I'm the mission. When you get done with the relationships that you've got distracted by, or the job or the income or the stuff that you got distracted by, Jesus says, I'm still here and I'm the reason for the mission and vision. He is the reason. If this were Jeopardy, you would say, uh, mission and vision for 800. Uh, he is the reason for your mission and vision. Ding! Who is Jesus? Yes. Right answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the reason for our mission and for our vision. Now, verse, uh, verse 15 of chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, number two. What's that mean? He is the image of the invisible God. If you were to see Jesus, would you be seeing all of God? Is that all of God? Because he's the image. Or is it just the image? It's a tricky theological question. You've got to keep reading, not just in Colossians, but throughout the New Testament. Because the answer crops up in passage after passage that talks about who Jesus is. But here, Paul says that he's the image of, because God's invisible, if you want to see God, the God who is invisible, you look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. There's a whole strain of theology and interpretation of the New Testament that basically says we interpret the New Testament through the person of Jesus, a, a uh, Christocentric view of the New Testament. We understand theology through Jesus. When we want to know who God is and what God is like, we look at Jesus. Jesus is God. And Paul says he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. That just means that, that he is, they're going to, he's going to go on to say he's supreme. It doesn't mean that he was the first one to be born as though he had a beginning 
But firstborn is a term. The firstborn, the firstborn has the supremacy in the family and that culture back then. And he is like the firstborn. He's, he's the one who's over all of creation. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. This is why he's over all creation. Because in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, any kind of power that would be out there, all things have been created through him and for him. Number three, he is the creator of the world. He is the creator of the world. All things were created through him and for him. Now, that's a pretty big deal because when you go back into the Old Testament, you go back into, into Genesis for sure, but into the Psalms and into the prophets, and you see them talk about creation, you see them talk about the beginning, and here it says that Jesus is the one who created. He's the image of the invisible God. Who's the invisible God? Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord of the Old Testament. He's the invisible God, and Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the creator God. And then um, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So on your notes page, number four is that he is the head of the church. And number five is that he is absolutely supreme. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, in consideration of anything, Jesus comes first. Before you're going to figure out anything in all of creation, Jesus comes first. He's the first consideration. He's the first causation. He's the one. He's the one that is why it's there, why it is, what it's for. We consider Jesus first and primary. In him, all things hold together. He's the creator. He's the one that, you know, we wonder, some wonder if you're really smart about going up in the air a lot, you wonder why do people... Why do, people, why do we stick to the earth? Why do we stay on the Why don't we just float up into the sky? Because if you go up high enough, you do, you start floating, right? Gravity, we understand gravity. We understand some of the immutable laws of nature. But it says that in him, all these things hold together. If you get right down to the, the, the nanotechnology of our cells and of our bodies, in him, all things hold together. Sometimes the deeper we get into biology, the more shocked we are that something hasn't gone wrong with us by now because there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong with us. Yet life is from God, and in him all things hold together. And that in everything, he might have the supremacy. That's not a word we use, supremacy. Supreme, we use that for pizzas, right? Right? I'd like your, uh, two of your large supreme, 
pizzas? Oh, but Jesus might have the supremacy. It's like it's not really uh, comparable here. That, that he might have the supremacy. What is primo in your life? What's like number one, numero uno? What is the priority in your life? Is it your health, your relationships, your income, your position, your career, your family, your property, your portfolio? What's number one in your life? And Paul says that in everything, everything, I think, I think the Greek word is panta, P-A-N-T-A. Pan is uh, Pan, Pan Am, uh, the airlines, they go everywhere, right? Pan is over all. Um, that in everything, everything in your life, everything in the world, he might have the supremacy. What do you control in your life? You know God doesn't control any of that because you control it. And you've never loosened your grip on it. What is that thing that you control? Does Jesus have the supremacy? Is that part of your life yielded to him and to his values and to his teachings? What part of your life do you have to let go of? Say, God, I want you to be supreme in this area of my life. Lord Jesus, may, may you have the supremacy. May my dealings and my thinking and my whole philosophy of life in that area, may it be in alignment with you. Or are there areas that we're still holding on to? Because honestly, we wouldn't say it this way, but it's really true. We want to be supreme. We want to be in charge of that. We want to call the shots and decide when and if we're going to lose one finger of our grip on it. He is absolutely supreme. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself, there's the word again, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Number six is he is completely and only God. Jesus is completely and only God. Some of the false teachings that were coming into Colossae after the gospel got there and Paul's teachings and the teachings of Jesus and the disciples came in, then the misinformation and the disinformation came in behind as it did wherever Paul taught the gospel, as it does in our lives. Wherever the gospel comes in and directs us toward Jesus, there's the misinformation there too. There's the the world, the flesh, and the devil coming in and giving us different information. Well, it's not really this way, it's that way. And well, Jesus is, yeah, he's supreme, but out there. He's supreme out there over like the, the cosmos. You, you, we kind of have to deal with our own lives. He's busy, deism, right? He's busy, he's up there. He, he, he wound the clock up and he set it down and it's running and he's busy doing something else. All these different things, and, and in Colossae it was no different. And 
Paul is telling them that God was pleased, it pleased God to have all his fullness, all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. And then through Jesus to reconcile to himself, to God, all things. Now this reconciliation, we often think about as for people, right? People get saved. A tree doesn't get saved. Nay, nay, they actually do. Now, not like we do, but Jesus' death and defeat of sin and death and hell was for all of his creation, was for as far as the web telescope can see, it's going to restore and redeem the cosmos. It's going to restore and redeem creation and the, the whole earth, the whole planet, through him to reconcile to himself all things, people and all the rest of creation, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's a verse in Acts, I think it's in chapter 4, where the disciples say to uh, the authorities who are telling them, don't talk anymore in the name of this Jesus. And they say, well, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. There's, you tell us not to preach in the name of Jesus, but there's, there's no other name. He's the only one. And he's the one who, by his blood on the cross, redeems and reconciles all. Any reconciliation, any restoration of creation comes from Jesus. And it comes from his shed blood, which paid for sin. Sin marred all of creation. Sin mars us, and it cursed all of creation. And Jesus' blood defeats sin and death and hell and Satan and removes the curse, and all of creation is redeemed. Number seven, if I didn't already say it, he's the ultimate reconciler. He's the one that brings us back together. Verse 21 once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So we were enemies, we're alienated. Us, God, apart. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. One of the false teachings was that physicality is evil. The flesh is evil and physical bodies are not really to be desired. And so therefore, Jesus, when he came, he wasn't actually a physical body. He came as a spirit. It's called Gnosticism. It was part of that teaching. And Paul is saying, no, Christ's physical body, he came, the God, the God who is transcendent, gets this irreducible minimum of Jesus this is as far as he could be reduced. But in him, it says in the second chapter of Colossians, all the Godhead dwells in bodily form in Jesus. And he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, his death on the cross. So here you've got the creator, the life giver, the light provider, the one who said, let there be the light of life, the spring of living water, 
He dies. He, he is the transcendent God who reduces himself down to a body yet, with, that yet contains all the fullness of the Godhead, but then he dies. That body dies on the cross, and the blood is shed. And that is what gives life. That is what removes the sting of death and sin and hell. That shed blood of the dead God gives life. The God who dies doesn't sound right, does it? I don't even like saying it. But God died. Jesus, the Son of God. And then the Father raised him back to life. But then again, there you go with Jesus saying, I can lay my, my, my life down and I can pick it back up again. So did the Father raise him from the dead? Or did he raise himself from the dead? Yes. Yes, because there's only one God. There's only one God. So in the sense that there's only one God, I'm just using the English language. I'm sorry I'm limited, so I'm going to contradict myself. You ready? In the sense that there's only one God, did God, could God die? No. God can't die. God is, and he always will be. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, who decided to relinquish the attributes of deity for a while, the um, powers of deity, maybe is a better word, he dies on the cross. It's confusing. Theologians write all kinds of papers back and forth about these things. But here it is. Paul is trying to trying to explain it to us, if you could use all the languages of the world and we understood all the languages of the world, we'd have a better chance at explaining these things. But in just one language, with just limited vocabulary, how do you describe the transcendent God and his good work on the cross for us? But then here's the best part. Um, Christ's physical body through death, verse 22, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. What are you guilty of? What are you ashamed of? What just kind of plagues you from the past? You did it, and it hurt other people, and you feel bad about it, and you try to make your amends and say you're sorry. But you've done your best to repent and come before God and to ask for forgiveness. And Paul writes here that this physical body of Jesus that dies on the cross has, has accomplished this, that we could be presented holy in the sight of God, that we could be without blemish. You know, a blemish is just a little, just a little thing. You don't even have a little thing without blemish, and free from accusation. Who's your chief accuser? The Satan. Satan means accuser. The Satan is the chief accuser. Who's your second accuser? The mirror. Yourself. You, you accuse yourself. You do, because you're guilty. 
You know you are. You know what you've done. You feel bad for it. You remind yourself of it over and over. The next time, go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, and see that you are holy in His sight, without blemish, and you're free from accusation. Don't accuse me, Satan. Don't accuse me, mirror. Don't accuse yourself because Romans chapter 8, it talks about the accusation. There's no one can accuse. It is God who justifies. It is Christ who forgives. What Jesus did, when you take the power of the transcendent creator God and you take him and you put the the fullness of the Godhead into one body, and you take that one body and you put it on the cross and sacrifice it, that is effective and sufficient for all the sins of the world and certainly for your sins. And you are forgiven by God. Maybe there's amends that we need to make with people. Maybe there's apologies or restitution or there's a, there's a trust that has to be rebuilt. That, we understand all that. But God forgives That's why then we can forgive others. We can forgive because we're forgiven. Then he says in verse 23, uh, number eight, by the way, if you're filling things out, is he's the one who makes us holy. But verse 23 says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now this isn't, you know, you better walk this tightrope just right, and if if you fall off the tightrope, then you're, you're done. It's not what this is saying. This is saying you, you continue in this faith. This is a faith you want to continue in. This is the real gospel. This is the real deal. You really can be forgiven and restored and reconciled to God. Established and firm. And don't move from this hope. This is a sure and certain hope, the Scriptures say. And it's held out in the gospel. And then I love the rest of verse 23. This is the gospel. This is it that you heard, that Epaphras told you about, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I am a servant of this gospel. Who is Jesus? He's the reason for our mission. He's the one that we come to worship. He's the one that should never have to stand anywhere in our auditorium and say, (coughs) I'm over here. Remember me? Uh, when you're done talking, could uh, I see you for a minute? <laughs> we should know when we walk in this place, when we wake up in the morning, that our life is about the one who's supreme, Jesus. So, so important. And so wonderful. Such a benefit and a blessing for us. So some of you have come. You've been here for decades. And others of you have been here for weeks doesn't matter how long we've been here. Is Jesus supreme in your life? There is no other name. Have you bowed the knees of your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered yourself to Jesus to say, Lord Jesus, I, you are the Savior. You are the one who, you're the embodied God who died on the cross for my sins. I do place my faith in you. I, I, I can't do it myself. I can't. It's obvious. I do turn to you. I put my faith and trust in you. 
You may have been coming here for 50 years and have never done that or for five weeks and need to do that. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? There is no other name. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Good news. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's exclusive. It only applies to people on earth. (laughs) Everybody, everybody can get in. It's wonderful news. Let it be wonderful news for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, uh, we do, on the inside, God, we bow our knee to you. We bow our hearts to you. We bow bow our wills to you our priorities to you, Lord. We do. We we bow ourselves to you. God, I pray for for all of us. I pray for those of us who've been believers for a long time that we would reaffirm our surrender to the one who is supreme, that we would reaffirm our love for you, Lord. And I pray for those who have maybe never affirmed their love for you. Never received your love for them. God, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning and that people would have the freedom to say, Lord Jesus, I release the wheel of my life to you and I place my faith in you. You're a better driver than me and you can get me there. I believe in you. I confess my sinfulness and I place my faith in you. I hope that you've done that this morning if you've never done it before because God will move in lock, stock, and barrel into your life and he will be thrilled to have a relationship with you because you decided to submit yourself to him. God, we worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.